Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Said Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak to industry experts about the changing landscape of marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Dr. Nikki Morley, Global Innovation Lead for the Kantar Sustainability Practice. I'm also Head of Behavioural Science and Innovation Expertise in the UK Insights Business at Kantar. I'm joined by our guest today, Katrina Ferris, who is the Consumer Insight Director for Home Care Europe at Unilever. Welcome, Katrina. It'd be lovely to start by telling me a bit about yourself. Hi, Nikki. Lovely to be on the call today. I'm Consumer Insight Director for Home Care in Europe. I've got a background client side for the whole of my career. I just love getting under the skin of consumers, understanding what their problems are, creating mixes, whether it's products or advertising that I can actually see. And I know this sounds quite old fashioned, but in the shops or on the telly, you know, I get excited when an ad that I've worked on comes on TV and I get excited when I walk into store and I see a product that I've been part of the co-creation process. And so one of the things that you're having to get under the skin of is sustainable innovation. Can you tell me a bit more about what sustainable innovation means to you? I think for me, sustainable innovation is about driving what we at Unilever call a clean future agenda, but also driving innovation that is actually sustainable in the marketplace. So it's actually got that double-edged use of the word sustainable. And when you design sustainable innovations, it has to deliver cost, performance and sustainability. Because if you don't do all three, you just don't get mainstream innovations. One of the initiatives we've worked on recently is that we've launched and moved to PCR in our European laundry liquids bottles. And, you know, yes, it's great from an environmental point of view and moves on our PCR agenda. But actually within that, we also harmonise bottle shape. And that makes a big difference for our uh, running along the line. So the bottles, you know, if you don't have to keep changing the bottles, you can be more efficient in your factories. So it's a great example of kind of sustainable innovation, not just from a consumer point of view, but also from a total business point of view. 
And can you just explain what PCR means for those of us who are not in the know? So PCR is post-consumer recycled. So basically taking, you know, the stuff you put into your recycling bin and making it into new bottles of fabric, liquid, fabric, laundry, detergent, whatever you want to call it. Have you got any other examples of uh, sustainable innovations that you've worked on over the years? So the second one would be the um, SIF Eco Refill. And it's essentially just a really small bottle with a really cool lid that when you take the spray out of the bottle, it locks and, and basically pours into the bottle because the bottle has been designed for all the stresses and drains of the manufacturing and the transport facility. But actually, the bottle is much more robust than it needs to be from a consumer point of view. So essentially, if you kind of can pour a refill into your bottle, you're both using less plastic, you're reusing the bottle and the trigger. So it's really efficient from a cost point of view. And from a space point of view, it's much smaller. So it creates more shelf space in the trade and it creates more shelf space in that really difficult and full cupboard under your sink where you're trying to shove more and more bottles of stuff. So really good for, from a consumer point of view, really good from a cost point of view, and really good from a sustainable point of view. And when you put three of them together, you end up with that perfect triangle of sustainable innovation. Brilliant. So that's your magic formula, is it? Cost, performance and sustainability. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about sort of designing these successful sustainable innovations and are there any other secrets to it? So I think the other secret that we would say is absolutely focus on the pain point. It's very easy for the R&D guys to kind of come and go, here's this new shiny jazz hands, as we sometimes call it, at Unilever technology that we think is going to be the consumer's next best thing. And my challenge is always, well, what's in it for the consumer? What is the consumer pain point you're trying to solve? So if you've got a technology that allows you to recycle more of your plastic, that's great. That's a pain point because the consumer wants to do their bit, but we need to make it easier. So that's an easy way of thinking about that pain point. But if the new technology is, you know, better for the environment, but doesn't clean as well, and your product is designed predominantly to meet the pain point I get and stains out of laundry, that's not sustainable. That's just better for the environment. And really focusing on pain points and getting into the consumer's home, whether that's virtually or physically, understanding the pain points and then designing your products against those pain points for me is, again, the win-win for sustainable innovation. And can you give an example of those sorts of pain points? If we think about laundry detergents, for example, everybody kind of talks about, oh, well, even shaving off a microsecond of the kind of laundry because of the number of loads you do a week and a month makes a difference. So one of the reasons we see consumers moving to capsules from liquids is that it takes even less time to get the washing on because you throw your hopefully Unilever capsule or Unilever pod, whatever you you know the consumer calls it, you throw it into the washing machine and it takes a microsecond off the thinking process that you might have done previously with a liquid. Brilliant. So now we're building up a picture of cost, performance, sustainability and pain points. Is there anything else in the design of successful sustainable innovations you want to share? I think the other thing is making sure that your pain point is at least broad enough in footprint that it's worth your kind of R&D resources. So you don't want your pain point to be so niche that, you know, you're solving a pain point that 10% of the population has 
it needs to be a pain point that the majority of the population has. So that's why, yes, we will get niche, sustainable, eco-friendly propositions. But if they're just eco-friendly, they're not big enough for all of the consumers that want to do their bit. They're only big enough for the consumers who are actually prepared to really go that extra mile. So making sure that, you know, they're big and they're pain points that everybody has. And my other advice is the more that you can do, you can replicate the the task that your consumer is doing, the better. I remember early on in my career, hearing about a a male brand manager who had joined the Always team. I was working for P&G at the time and he spent a week wearing Sampro products to really understand, even if he couldn't understand the whole menstruating cycle, understanding the process of wearing Sampro. So the more you can get under the skin of your consumers and understand and use the category the same way that they would do, use the products in the same way that they would do. If you're working on toilet blocks, you should be using toilet blocks and saying kind of what's the pain point in toilet blocks. And for me, you know, one of the things we've been talking about in toilet blocks is interestingly, what's the prompt to change your toilet block? Because it is a bit of an accessory, if we're really honest. And for me, the prompt is always when the lid has been left up, because then I see the toilet block when it's dry. I wouldn't change my toilet block when it's wet. Make sense? Yep, makes absolute sense. Now, I want to come back to talk in more detail about the consumer in a moment. But just before we get there, we want to understand sort of some of the challenges that are really sort of facing manufacturers trying to innovate sustainably. I think the big challenge sometimes is testing out and doing pilots, because often you don't have a lot of the new materials. Often you don't have a big factory line to run it down super efficiently. Often you only have enough to service one customer. So I think one of the tips I would give is see if you can really get somebody to partner with you, particularly at a customer level, to partner with you to test out those new innovations. And you probably have to go to do it at a third party. You're probably going to have to do it at a margin that is actually quite uncomfortable. But you have to remember that margin is not your long term margin. That's your short term margin for the pilot. So absolutely small scale tests with retailers and with retailers who are leaning in, either they're leaning into innovation, they're leaning into sustainability, they're leaning into categories. Doing all of that, I think, can be an unlock. But the first unlock needs to be in your head that goes, this isn't my long term case. This is my learning case. Ah, And I'm glad you used that word learning because I was going to come on to that. We've talked before, haven't we, about this idea of learning and a learning journey. And I noticed that Unilever really moving towards that learning journey. Can you talk a bit more about that process of shifting towards pain points and a learning journey? So essentially, we are kind of moving, and I think a lot of businesses are moving to a kind of a more flexible innovation model, a more flexible model that pulls in the right stakeholders at the right time, rather than having to stakeholder management everybody. And and as we would say, in English and their granny. So focusing on a kind of lean canvas where we're really focused on the pain points, focus on the decisions we need to make now, not the decisions we need to make in six months time, not the cost of what that decision would be, unless that cost is, is a cost that we need to put on the balance sheet today. So less about big, long research plans and more about what are the issues we want to resolve now and what is the flexible research that we need to do to understand the the biggest risks and really focusing on the risks rather than focusing on everything. 
I think is an unlock for a lot of us because a lot of us want to see the total picture. They want to kind of go, well, you know, what does the 3D pack testing look like in 12 months time? But the 3D pack testing in 12 months time is not your biggest risk. Your biggest risk is that the consumer doesn't actually think this product cleans well enough. And until it cleans well enough, they're not going to adopt it. Brilliant. And then nicely coming back around to the consumer, actually. So tell me a bit about how you brought the consumer at the heart of this sort of process. You know, you've talked a lot about pain points, but also you've talked about different types of consumer. How is it important is it to, to look at those different types of consumer? So I think it's really important to kind of look at the big macro groups as well as kind of bringing the consumer in on an individual basis and really getting that balancing act between the big quant data and then the individual kind of connectivity data. So we will often kind of start with some of the big quant reports, whether it's who cares, who does, whether it's our brand tracking, whether it's, you know, any of those big quant reports and look at that from a segmentation point of view. But also we will then really encourage our brand managers to be doing virtual, I mean, virtual at the moment, I'd love them doing face-to-face, but at the moment, virtual connects and trying to do that creatively. So in Europe, for example, particularly in our Rotterdam office, we've got quite a lot of people who have come from other countries. So rather than saying, you know, you're working on a project that has Germany, Spain and Italy in scope and saying the lead country is Germany, so we have to do connects in Germany, If the person is Italian, we get them to do connects in Italy instead of doing them in Germany. And then they get closer to the consumer and they're doing it in their native tongue and they're doing it in their native country. And and I think they begin to get more of that gut feel of the pain points and the problems rather than just a, a feel on paper. Can you tell me a little bit more about this process? We've talked about the consumer. What about trying to get engagement and buy in along the journey? Because sustainable innovations can be difficult. I don't want to say drag through an organisation, but they can be challenging, can't they, for everybody to see the benefit in them? Yeah, so I think we've done a couple of things. I think the R&D guys have actually been very clever in terms of trying to kind of communicate in a more simple way than they've often done in the past about the benefits of the kind of sustainability and how the impact they've made on, make on the planet. So I think the R&D guys have a job to do to make the technology so simple that everybody thinks we should be doing that. And then I think making sure that we have both a sustainable story, but also a retailer story is really, really important because obviously fundamentally we need to be, and I can't think who used this phrase recently. I think it was Stan, who's the head of Insight. We need to be market makers as well as market takers. So making sure that you have a story that's all about creating demand for these new products and how that they're going to win for the customer and the consumer is really, really important. And something I think I think we've got more to do on that one for sure. But I think it's an important focus that we need to take going forward. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Brilliant. And you've been talking about this sort of learning journey and you're now getting it out into market and sort of thinking about incubating it. And what's different about that compared to sort of normal innovation? So for me, normal and particularly the kind of the less disruptive innovation is if we've got a big business in laundry liquids and we want to essentially, you know, upgrade our formula, our job there is to make sure we're not doing anything silly. Yeah. And actually, our job is about reducing the risks and therefore a lot of the methods we've used in the past are really good. Yeah, And, and I'm, I'm a big fan of saying don't throw out those really robust methods that confirm that everybody is OK with this. But I think when you're on a learning journey, particularly with complex technology, you want to be trying to do much more incubation. You want to be doing single retailer experiences. You want to be doing getting out there and really understanding the consumer and the customer rather than all of your research is done closed and in-house. Now, there's a balancing act because you also need to make sure that you can then scale it quickly so that competition doesn't scale it faster than you. Okay, that is often the tension that we have with some of the more disruptive sustainable innovation is that how early do you show your hand? versus how do you learn and incubate? And I don't think any of us have got the right answer to that yet. And I think that's something we're working at and we're struggling at and we're learning. And the more we do it, the more we'll learn. Yeah, brilliant. I love this idea of it being a learning journey and and that continuing that learning process right into launch. One of the challenges with sustainable innovation, which is why it requires such a learning journey, is a topic quite close to my heart around behaviour change and sort of really having to close the gap between someone's desire to behave sustainably and their ability to do so. Can you tell me a bit about how you sort of approach that and how you ensure that you actually make products that people want to and can use and to be sustainable, to help them on that sustainability journey? For me, behaviour change is an area that I think most of marketing including Insight, has more to learn, for sure. I think often where we end up is that we forget how many multi-year investments we need to drive behaviour change. And sometimes we in marketing and Insight get bored with those behaviour change messages long, long before the consumer is bored. Yeah. So if you think about the transition from soap to shower gel and, you know, in the West, It has taken years of communication before you can get to a point where you only communicate on shower gel. And I think we need to learn more about how we not just convert, but continuously convert. And we need media models to do that really well. We need adoption journey work. So how many people are using, and that's where, you know, Europanel and and a lot of the tools that you guys have come in really, really well, because they help us understand who's using both liquids and capsules who's using blocks and bleach you know and really understanding those multi-users and then using that to help drive penetration but I think my biggest plea in all of this is that we remember that behavior change takes more than one 30 second ad aired for three months I couldn't agree more and and actually do you think it should also be part of embedded in the design of the products as well Yeah, and I think the more you embed behaviour change in the design of the product, the more simple it is, the more easy it is to use, the more easy it is to store. 
absolutely you will get there. And I think you have to do that to make it work, if that makes sense. It's not an either or. I think it's both a design and an investment model that's different to where we've often ended up in the past. So thinking about sustainable innovations, I think it's important that we think about brands. We think about big brands and their role that they can play in in driving this behavior change, but also how important it is to think about your brand when you're innovating sustainably, such that whatever you're producing is actually going to grow your brand. How do you marry up innovation, sustainability, and your brand thinking? How do you put it all together? We use and have continued to use for years our brand Lovekey. It's iterated through the years and you know, different times, different things go on it. But for me, I think it's really important, particularly in a world where purpose is becoming even more important, that the brand say and the brand do are continuing to evolve together rather than the kind of the sustainable innovation is inconsistent with the brand do. So, you know, one of the examples that I talked about earlier in this chat is about when we launched the new bottle made of PCR in the UK. We also very much didn't just launch the the brand say, but we launched the brand do around a new movement where we want young people to take positive action for a better world. So we are moving to PCR, which is positive action for a better world. But the communication is all about children taking positive action for a better world for our UK Persil brand. And it's it's consistent with our the brand positioning for Persil that we have in a number of different, you know, Skip in France, Omo in Brazil. But tying up what you do from a sustainability point of view alongside your brand do, I think, is the sweet spot for success in terms of driving sustainable innovation. Brilliant. Can you just say a little bit more about what you mean by sort of brand saying and brand do, because people might not be, familiar, I am, but people may well not be so familiar with this. And I think it's an important topic. Yeah, so for me, we often go on air with rate back to the 30 seconds for three months. And that's, you know, that's a lovely piece of work. And don't get me wrong, it's vitally important in keeping your brand top of mind, okay? And without salience, we all know, you know, we will lose, we will lose penetration without salience. But I think in today's world, you need to just do more than just talking about it. And and people are more and more noticing, often is talked about greenwashing. So tying up with a a partner who will help you activate a brand, you doing something on the ground. So for example, on SIF, and I think it's one of the things I'm probably in the last year, maybe year and a half, particularly because I was on SIF at the time when we were looking at it. It's all about making our spaces more beautiful. Yeah. And about people enjoying beautiful spaces. And that's the brand say. And what the SIF team have done an amazing job in Turkey is that they have actually cleaned up the two different sides of the Bosphorus. You know, they've painted it, they've made it look better, they've put recycling bins into the Bosphorus to collect plastic. So the brand is talking about the importance of making the world more beautiful and how we all smile when we see a beautiful world. But we're doing something to make the space in Turkey that's, you know, one of the most used spaces when people cross the Bosphorus from east to west to make it more beautiful and to make you just smile at some of these you know, underground tunnels that were going from the ferry stations and, and just the, the area around the Bosphorus. So I think that's a great example of a brand say and a brand do. And then the challenge is how do you amplify those small actions and make sure that they're big enough impact in society, but also that people hear about them using influencers, using PR, so that, you know, you, you, the story becomes bigger than just your work around the Bosphorus. 
Oh, that's a lovely example. Finally, do you have any words, final words of wisdom for somebody who's thinking about innovating sustainably, probably where you were sort of early doors when you started this up thinking about sustainable innovation? What advice would you give them? What's the sort of one or two things that sort of stand out that you should say to somebody in in that position? I think for me, it's about an obsession with learning, whether it's learning early on, it's learning as you launch or it's learning post-launch. The more we can get close to kind of in the early stages, what are consumers going to do or going to say about this product? Then in the kind of mid-testing stages, really listening to what the consumers are really saying or doing with your product rather than hoping that they're doing that. And then in, when they launch, getting obsessive about 90-day performance reviews, getting obsessed about six-month product launch evaluations, and really taking that learning and building it in the next time, not just relearning constantly from these, you know, product launch evaluations that we need to build distribution faster. If we need to learn that we need to build distribution faster, what are we going to do on the next project that looks at how do you build distribution faster? If it's about depth of distribution, how do you look in the next project about building depth of distribution rather than speed of distribution? So beginning to really understand every time you innovate what worked and what didn't and what you could do better. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Said Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you never miss an episode. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.